Hello and welcome to your weekend morning trip. A more languid, laid-back, slow listening podcast with me, your host Shivraj Prashad. I'm hoping you will add us to your weekend playlist and give us a listen. Amidst the cacophony of the 24/7 breaking news cycle, one has to ask oneself, what really has become of the basic tenets of journalism? As newsmen and newswomen, we were taught never to editorialize. What that means is to present both sides of the story, side A and side B, objectively, and leave it to the readers, listeners, or viewers to decide for themselves. providing a public service if you will so whatever happened in this world where we are always on bombarded by an explosion of updates and information what do we make of what is real or what isn't why are we being forced to choose whose side we must be on and what then is the role of news providers i present to you newsworthy with anubhav a conversation with journalist anubhav bhosle a former colleague friend primetime news anchor and now independent journalist with a mission Anubha as always lovely to connect with you and have you on my weekend playlist Thank you so much Shivraj for having me I'm so happy to be here We will of course be looking at your latest offering newsworthy but before that I'd love for our listeners to know more about you You were a primetime anchor executive editor hands-on and well liked But what stood out for me in your journey was how you brought citizen journalism to our screens. What insights did you have from that exercise and would you say it was a turning point? I love the way you say well liked. You know that's almost like a badge of honor one has to wear that someone liked you while you were doing this <laughs> television. Shivraj, I've been a journalist all my life. This is pretty much all I know. I rose from the ranks. I covered a whole host of beats. I covered politics, Supreme Court, crime. I sort of went up the ladder before I became any of the things in the designations that you've mentioned, whether it was a primetime anchor and executive editor at CNN, IBN, or uh, someone who had the opportunity and the privilege to bring citizen journalism to screens. I think this was shortly after I had quit my stint at Indie TV and had joined CNN IPN. It wasn't called CNN IPN then, but I think at that point in time, we were constantly thinking of innovative storytelling formats. There were a lot of discussions about how we felt our news gathering was. You've been in the newsroom, and you realize sometimes as to how staccato, inflexible our news gathering process is. and you know a lot of things were changing within the landscape so to speak and one was realizing that we were following old formats not just of storytelling but the way our news was being gathered the issues that we wanted to cover what was kosher what was not what was prime time what was not all of these were sort of fixed buckets the mandate that i got from my editor rajdeep as well as raghav behel was to sort of just break it up to try and see how we could go with our mission of public interest journalism that centered mm. on the citizen 
And I have to say that I think we were also the right idea at the right time because a whole lot of things were happening that time, Shivraj, within sort of the larger political and social context. The use of the RTI to gather information, pushing of citizens to demand more information from the government or from the administration, a whole host of protests, whether they were against the brutal gang rape where citizens were coming out. All of these things were happening, which led to, you know, a sort of citizens movement, so to speak. Our main aim, and and obviously we didn't get it right at the first go, but our main aim was to A, put citizens at the center of our news gathering process break the hierarchies of news coverage. And I remember a lot of criticism, Shivraj, that came that way as well. Oh, would you go to a journalist to get a heart operation done? But, you know, I think people who who gave that kind of criticism were trying to protect territories because soon user-generated content and UGC, etc. became such buzzwords in journalism, right? Mm. And every media organization wanted citizens to send them pictures of a flood or a protest, etc., etc. But I think we had a couple of thumb rules and and this process was iterated. We kept the citizen at the center. We, we broke the hierarchy of what a news headline should be and what it cannot be. We continued with some of the basics of journalism, of fact-checking. You know, I remember in those days, no one used to ever say fact-checking because, you know, you always did check your facts. Like, it, it was a yeah. basic, right? I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, there were no two ways about it. You didn't debate it. You believed the journalist because it was facts and not rhetorical opinion. Absolutely. I mean, fact sort of was the centerpiece of any journalistic exercise, right? So it wasn't a separate department, so to speak. So just to tie the end on citizen journalism, we believed in some of those ethos. Mm. You know, we created a great amount of goodwill. We created a great amount of quote-unquote impact. We were clear clutter breakers, so to speak. We had great recall value. And I think we, we did drop the ball somewhere. We did drop the ball somewhere. We were far, far ahead, but I think we dropped the ball into transitioning into a completely digital spectrum and and if if that had happened i think it would have been a stellar success but the organization at that point in time decided to sort of scale it down it was a daily show that continued for 10 years it always had a sponsor always got good hits but yeah no and and that that's the tragedy when business interests take over now it's a debate that continues but you also took a sabbatical to pursue greater depth through a fellowship you directed a fabulous film and then there was that fantastic book about the tangled history of the northeast from iram sharmila's perspective i really love that book tell us more would you say that it all added up to your perspective of what it takes to be a truly unshackled and independent news person you know, Shivraj, I'm, I'm sort of always hard on myself. I've, I mean, apart from being a journalist and being hard on myself, I'm, I'm just also as a person hard on myself. I always want to know more. And I have other interests. Journalism is my mm. bread and butter. It's the only thing I do. News gets me up and gets me going. But I am genuinely a curious person. I'm also someone who does want to know more and does want to learn more. And I think... One of my biggest assets in my entire journalistic career is that, of course, I've had sort of good editors backing and supporting me, but my teams, the people I have led, have been all young and vibrant and brilliant. And they have always sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone. The sabbatical was a Fulbright Fellowship. It came at a very opportune time. I had already spent many, many years covering the Northeast and the conflict in the Northeast. I had made copious notes. I had um, 
thought about the idea of a book and all of that came together. My fellowship came together at a point in time when my book was going to be published. I went uh, with a specialization of conflict and women peacemakers. But when I went there, I realized I could sort of quote unquote shop for any class. And I realized I was sitting in classes with absolute youngsters, understanding digital newsrooms, understanding digital tools, understanding new ways of working. I was on a Fulbright fellowship, so it gave me access to tools for better productivity. And I think it sort of ties back to what I said in the first answer, where I said that, you know, newsrooms are stuck. Indian newsrooms are stuck in a really old place. Hmm. And almost like echo chambers, right? Absolutely. And you don't want, uh, I mean, they actually don't want fresh ideas. They don't want fresh tools for Mm. productivity. I mean, all over the world, people are using completely fresh tools to even sort of engage with each other. But Indian newsrooms have sort of some really, you know, really odd old habits that they just don't want to give up. Yeah, and the idiom as well. The idiom is still stuck. Yes, the idiom is stuck, the storytelling is stuck, the narrative is stuck. And I think, you know, I, when I came back, uh, not many people know that when I came back from my fellowship, I went there only for about nine to 10 months, but I spent almost two years. I was in fact covering the 2016 US presidential elections and what a fabulous opportunity it was. I'm sure someone like you mm. know completely as to what it is to be a foreign journalist or a foreign correspondent. You see everything with new eyes. An absolute dream just to see everything up front and that too at 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 that level and having that access is just amazing so I I came with sort of new eyes and a sort of a fresh brain and with absolutely Mm. new ideas not many people know but I went back to CNN and IBN for a couple of months but I could not breathe I just could not breathe in that landscape so the idea of autonomy the independence of the media all these are now being dabbled with by many media startups there is in fact a plethora of them what made you take the plunge and stake your reputation on building newsworthy i had new ideas i had a new sense of how news should be done the indian media landscape especially television was going down the drain so to speak and i'm being kind there i returned back to a newsroom that i just <laughs> could not recognize. Of course, it was polarized and it it had all sorts of external pressures. But apart from that, its ethos had completely changed. It wasn't interested in storytelling. It wasn't interested in journalism. It wasn't interested in finding out what was happening in this country. It was not diverse. And I hate to say, actually, for my own organization, and I have no qualms about saying it, it had become a kind of a boys club. It lacked diversity at every level. Anyways, television newsrooms have have no diversity, so to speak. So I think with that in mind, I decided quite early on, I think the first or the second day after I came back from my stint abroad and joined back the newsroom, I think I made up my mind that day itself that I need to exit. And I think it was just a couple of months before I exited. And I exited pretty much without a plan, Shivraj. I mean, I did come from a place of privilege. I was single. I had sort of no great family obligations. My parents are healthy. My brother's independent. I could sort of choke out my life on my own and see what I wanted to do. So when I quit, I actually had no plans, but a whole host of notebooks lots of ideas of lots of conversations that I'd had over two years with a spectrum of people. And I did pretty much 
follow that same route for about the next one year or so. I was called in by the ICFJ, the International Centre for Journalists, to run two programmes in two newsrooms in India. I ran a programme called Gender and at the Indian Express. And for The Wire, I ran a digital programme called Grit. You know, it was a fantastic opportunity. I was sort of in my comfort zone because I was in a newsroom, you know, and how we like newsrooms. <laughs> we just want to work together every day. So I was in my comfort zone, but I think my breakthrough moment was... I went to almost three to four newsrooms. I also went to the Jagran newsroom, which was a Hindi digital newsroom to run a mm. project for the ICFG there. And I think my breakthrough moment was that small or big English or Hindi or vernacular newsrooms in India had similar problems, were struggling through the same things, were putting a large part of their budget on non-journalistic exercises SEO, advertising, etc. Not to say that that's not needed. I mean, I'm just saying that it was my learning that all newsrooms had similar problems. That that an independent venture or a small niche venture could make a breakthrough. I think a little bit of those ideas of what Newsworthy could be like, what it would stand for, came in that one, one and a half years. And then I sort of started the logistics of it, registering a company, never thought I would be an entrepreneur, right? Like I yeah. need someone to fix the printer. I can't fix the printer, but now <laughs> I can. <laughs> no, and, and that was my next question. In this relentless, addictive social media context where SEO, marketing, eyeballs also play a huge factor. How do you propose to cut through the clutter and leave behind real impact? I think I want to do it primarily Shivraj through the work I do and through the journalism that I want to do. At Newsworthy, I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories that matter. I'm not going to be able to tell all the stories that matter, obviously. I want to bring in more context, less conflict. I want to bring in a different way of storytelling. I want to leave behind this notion that complex stories have to be boring and have to be told in a complex manner which is why you see Newsworthy on different platforms and you'll continue to see us in different platforms. I want to use the ideas and the ideation of the new media and combine it with the old tenets of journalism, right? Never forget mm. all of that and try and tell a full story as much as I can. I think one more difference that I want to make, and I'm not saying others are not trying to make this, is that I want to build this platform not just for myself. It runs mm. on my URL right now, primarily for reasons that you articulated. I have some small social media presence. I've never been the beneficiary of great marketing campaigns, so I don't have too much of a big social media presence. But for whatever minimal presence I have, that's why it runs on my name. But the idea is not that this is my platform and my journalism and only mm. I. I want, I want to be able to build it for maybe not a whole host of journalists, but a, for a few other like-minded journalists to do the journalism that they want to do. No, and I think the pandemic and lockdown in many ways did blow the lid on the crisis of credibility with the Indian media. You had non-mainstream, if I can call them that, news folks hit the ground running to talk to the teeming millions forgotten in this noise and din. And then there were those also like yourself correcting the lopsided narratives. You had Faye, you, many other independent folks. Do you think this is what is really making a difference now? I think absolutely, Shivraj. 
I mean, and you're right. You sort of uh, said the said the non-mainstream with a with air quotes in that sense. This is now the mainstream because the mainstream is fighting some unknown battles. I have no clue what they are fighting. I don't have no clue what mm. they cover. I I think this is the mainstream. I think it gives you a diversity. I have absolutely no bones. I mean, I I say to Barkha all the time on Twitter or everywhere. This she was mm. pretty much a one man or a two man army if you took you know her producer or her camera person. But just the quantum mm. of coverage that she did of the migrant and the relentless chase of the story of the real human story. What we forgotten was what we were all trained to do as journalists, right? Absolutely. And I mean, this was the basic, right? This this was sort of the this is the first thing you do. And you know, I often tell people that it's now easy to be a journalist because there's actually no competition. Uh, the sort of quote unquote the mainstream journalism is doing something else. You're not fighting for the same story. Mm. No one is interested in actually doing those stories. It's so in some ways it's easier to be a journalist now. So to your answer, absolutely, each one of us has made a difference. And uh, you know, obviously, we come with different resources, we come with different experiences, uh, we come with different strengths. And it's not just the three of us. You know, I think what has happened for me is a great amount of learning of just how robust uh, Shivraj, the vernacular media and the digital spectrum is. It's amazing to see that, and I think you know we're trying to sort of again we're cocooned in our sort of English background and uh, English speaking journalism, mm. etc. But I have seen some fabulous, gritty, amazing, insightful, full of depth reportage from so much in the vernacular media, and I have to say I was exposed to it partly because of you know my stint at Jagra, and I got to know a whole host of journalists. I was privy to what vernacular media was doing, what that landscape was looking like. and what's fantastic is how they do it at such a micro level they able to bring communities together and really make a difference yes and they're absolutely serving their communities in the in in the best way possible i mean there are now youtube channels that would cover every niche they are uh, they are covering um, sort of small localities they're covering every issue and you know that's what sort of diversity and covering the length and breadth of this country should look like wasn't mm. this the power of the network or these taglines that we used to often hear about right the power of this network the power of this media the power of this media conglomerate that we cover this mm. country like no one else i mean we are a sorry state those media conglomerates are in a sorry state because i don't think they have a correspondent in at least in any northeastern state of this country or don't even have correspondents in half the state capitals Hmm. And and that's what I'm that I want to really get back to. I know we're talking about the micro level journalism, but let's get back to the big picture. These are tough times. You've seen those mass layoffs. The business of the media is messy, and then you have regimes who are brooking no opposition. Journalists of any hue are becoming targets, and we're smack in the middle of a controversy. I don't want to get into specific Indian cases because it becomes a tinderbox, as as you and I both know. But let's look at the larger picture, the global picture. Maria Ressa, formerly CNN and now Rappler, has been exemplary, very outspoken about how brave journalists will not back down. Do you think we can apply those lessons to the situation here? Are you all doing that in your own little way? I think we are, but I think the credit for this goes to so many other journalists in this country. So many journalists are in jail for actually practicing journalism. Um, so many journalists uh, from the state of Jammu and Kashmir face immense 
pressure. So many journalists in the Northeast face pressure, uh, political pressure, pressure from non-state actors and continue to do the work they do. So I think India has their sort of own long list of you know, brave journalists who are simply not packing down. And I don't think we have to go too far. We can just sort of start looking at uh, the news feeds of many women journalists and just see mm. uh, the kind of troll and abuse that they have, uh, you know, that they Absolutely. Face. Yeah. And, you know, that's, 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 that's linked to what I wanted to ask because I know the Editors Guild has taken cognizance, but is that enough? Is it a question of finding common cause? Because recently I heard Seema Mustafa saying exactly that. You have women journalists who are outspoken and doing a story and instead of focusing on the controversy around their stories their personalities their personal life everything becomes fair game and i mean look at how low india is on the index of press freedom apart from that you've got these trolls so do you think it's important now that the media find common cause come together and do something about it because that's exactly what Maria Ressa was saying we've got to adopt guerrilla like tactics and really go after doing what we meant to do a public service yeah, but you know, we, we've got to have the components to form that conglomerate or to form that coalition or to form that collaboration mm. we want to engage in those guerrilla tactics. I, I think it, yeah, I think Rohini, Rohini said this when she accepted her uh, Chameli Devi award just a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago. And I think she made a very important point and it resonated with me deeply. I think she said, of course, she spoke about journalism being a public service and all that. But she said that, you know, no matter how good our story is, no matter sort of the great injustice we have uncovered, one story can sort of rarely do anything and one journalist can do nothing right so in in the good old days what happened when there was a good story or one what happened if there was sort of a showcase of injustice we all came together we collaborated there were daily reports there were follow-ups there were long-form stories there were discussions there were all the other mediums there was sort of a video documentary etc etc and you build pressure you kept the mm. pressure on Something like that does happen in the Indian media landscape. I think it happened in the Hathras case. It happened even during the Delhi riots. A lot of that were, were young reporters doing that as well. And and I think that's the need of the hour. I'm not saying it's comp uh, like, I don't want to look at the glasses half full. I think a little more of that would help us all find our space and help find this profession that we so dearly love. Mm. And it is tricky, isn't it? Because you're up against a lack of trust in the media. You do a, a dipstick and people will say that. Such a strong control of the narrative. And then on top of that, you have an additional layer of complexity with the phenomenon of fake news. Just recently, I saw a meme that, you know, had this twist on it saying fake versus fact. How critical then is your role in all of this? I think we have to go back to what we've always believed journalism to be. And I have a slightly different view of what was often taught and what still continues to be taught in journalism schools of covering mm -hmm. A side and covering B side, etc. I think in this landscape with you know with with sort of all the characteristics that you have you've just spoken about the lack of trust the fact that there are people wanting to take control of the narrative that there are people who manipulate the narrative through fake news that there is abuse and trolling and just sort of a corporatization of the media which has meant that you're up against extremely powerful i think in this landscape 
we can no longer stand with the tenet of, oh, I, I asked this one and I asked the other side as well. And so this is my story. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can. Balance cannot be a smokescreen. We need mm. to work harder. You know, we need to sort of find the sliver of truth. And yes, the truth may not be complete. We may not have complete information, but that's what new media. And it may not be comfortable either. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it may not be complete, and but it gives you the opportunity to say that, you know, you know this much, but you, but your job needs to be on trying to uncover the truth as it exists, as exists at mm. that point in time. And I think a very important part is, Shivraj, it's our process that has to be non-manipulated. Mm. You know, once the process gets vitiated, then you're up for a problem. But it's our process that needs to be kosher, that doesn't need to be biased. We don't necessarily need to go to A side and B side and sort of put out the story like that. And I think... I mean, we all know sort of the vulnerabilities that exist in our society, the underdogs of our society. And I think journalism at some point in time always meant standing for the underdog, the vulnerable, the the disenfranchised. All of those things have sort of been forgotten and labeled into buckets and categories of this mm. ideology and that ideology. If you're covering malnutrition and if you're covering mm, the poorest of the poor not getting access to a food grain or, you know, or dying death because of lack of public health infrastructure, I don't think everything can be looked into the lens. And I don't think journalists should go about trying to find A and B to every story. No, and I, what I really liked was how, and, and I watched a lot of your videos, is how you said that there has to be context also. So, Anupa, what are your future plans for Newsworthy? How do you plan to sustain this? The reason I ask is that without a funding strategy, there is a danger of losing sight of the change you want to be. We have to be pragmatic sometimes. Absolutely. And I I don't think I've become an entrepreneur thinking that I'm doing this just as a hobby or I'm doing news as a hobby or I'm doing independent journalism as a hobby. It is a mission. There is a well laid out plan. So far, this is self-funded and this is funded not through Mm -hmm. my savings entirely. I do run a company which continues to work in the media ecosystem. We do lots of toolkits, lots of trainings for journalists, helping them look through lenses of caste, gender, looking at how they should cover issues of climate change, etc. And all the money that I get from that is funding Newsworthy currently. But at the end of it, I am not running a non-profit. I am very, mm-hmm. very comfortable saying that, that this will not be a non-profit, but this will not be a mission for profit. I'm not running mm-hmm. this. I will not run this entity as uh, an entity to make money. This will be mm-hmm. a public service. But even to run a public service journalism platform, you you do need money. You, de- you need very mm-hmm. sort of diverse revenue streams. Some of that revenue will come in from subscriptions. Some of that revenue will come in from donations. Some of that revenue will come in from collaborations. Some of that revenue will come in from sort of users paying for the content. Some of that will be exclusive collaborations. So there is a pipeline for it. I've also brought in people to help me do this because this is Mm -hmm. something that's, I know journalism and I know very little else apart from journalism and Mm -hmm. one thing again wrong with journalists of our generation were that we never we tried to keep the distance from the marketing guys but i think there was Mm. tons to learn and i wish we had learned absolutely 
Yeah, and you know, I just wanted to come back to the model, and I know you've you've just alluded to it in great detail. But where do you stand on the advertising versus subscription versus investment from venture philanthropic capital debate? Because I know some media organizations believe that to be truly free, they won't take advertising money. Others have no qualms as long as they can stay on course to provide millions an essential public service, as you pointed out. You're right. I know a lot of media organizations have said that that they're not going to accept advertising, but many of those organizations are also running parallel businesses, sort of all kosher businesses running in content or um, you know production, etc., etc. There is this growing trend of foundations and grants and sort of trusts who are supporting media-related work. and you know there is a there is a demand for media funding and that demand for media funding is constantly on the rise i think we have to understand this rise of this philanthropic model that has its roots in decline and dissatisfaction with legacy media and corporatization etc etc mm. but you know i just want to sort of just put a seed of thought this is a great intersection between philanthropy and collaboration and journalism mm-hmm. but we can't move to a version of being advertised from advertising dependent to being grant dependent hmm. you know i don't think success would look like that having said that i often tell people i meet who uh, have the means who have the sort of intellectual curiosity and who have the ethics that they must pay for news that they must support independent journalism hmm. uh, i don't think independent journalism can stand investigative journalism can stand without this kind of support i mean just imagine a case coming i mean it will sort of blow the winds out of you not for a day a week but sort of for months to come hmm. a business model you know of course many of these philanthropic fundings have provided sort of and proved to be great kickstarters and uh, allowed some organizations to remain sort of in a non-profit model and they've allowed others to sort of you know diversify into various revenue models so i think it has to be a part of the piece mm-hmm. that's how i see it no and i think it's also about sustaining your mission you can't be selective you know there's a mission you know it's about sustaining what you began with and like you said you're willing to put together a mix of different things as long as you do good journalism quite honestly anuba what you're doing is nothing short of brave and definitely newsworthy. Thank you so much Shivraj. And finally, we're all about leaving listeners with something to really think about over the weekend and given what we have spoken about, what Anubha is your one message? I think to anyone listening and I know that you bring out some stellar people every weekend to this podcast and um, sort of even your larger audience of your daily offering I think they are all curious individuals who want news want it with context and not conflict and definitely want news without getting an anxiety attack so I think to <laughs> anyone who feels that way my one thought would be that you will have to support independent journalism journalism has a role to play journalism is essential public service and I know that the profession has sort of not risen to the occasion sort of many aspects but i think supporting independent journalism is will be the way it has to be the way and we can always be hopeful that that will happen and i'm hoping that message goes out anuba bosle thank you ever so much for being part of this conversation thank you so much avraj for having me it was an absolute delight 
introduce us to similar folks you'd like featured by writing to me at shivraj at brevis.in or even by sending me a voice message. That's right, we're all about hearing from you. You can send your voice messages on plus nine one nine six two five four seven five double four two. I repeat, plus nine one nine six two five four seven five double four two. Or you could also send me a number, and I can add you to my subscriber list on WhatsApp. Don't forget to keep a lookout for the next big weekend playlist episode. Have a great weekend and the rest of your week.